Oh, poor Thomas. <laughs> One more Sunday, Sunday we get to load and lock and fire on him. <laughs> poor guy. But he's useful, he's a helpful guy, and we'll uh, maybe learn something from him. You know, Thomas needs physical evidence in order to be convinced that Jesus is back and Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is risen from the dead. He needs that physical evidence. Well, of course, that reminded me of C.G. Young and uh, Isabel Myers. How many of you are familiar with Young's typology or the Myers-Briggs? Yeah, lots of you are. Good, this will be a refresher for you. I expect good marks when I hand out the blue books shortly. What we're talking about here is sensing. Two of the of the ways of gathering information that Jung talked about and also Isabel Myers is that there are two ways to gather information and the population divides relatively evenly on this. One way is called sensing and what that means is is that what our senses tell us is really true that touch and smell and taste and the rest of it, that's practical, that's real, that information is valid. Pause. There is another group to which I belong, and many of you do too, called intuition. And on the intuitive side, We like the big picture. We don't like this mass of details that uh, we need to gather in order to understand what's going on. We just get enough details so we can jump to the big picture. We, We see holes, not necessarily discrete little parts. We, we don't see the pieces in so much as we see the whole puzzle. We like theory. Our sensing brothers and sisters are very practical. We are interested in the bottom line. I mean, I'm sure there are many of you here that like me with, okay, 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 what does it mean? When they're explaining something to you. What's the bottom line? Where do we go with this? That's the intuitive take. The sensing take is the opposite of that. Okay, tell me more. I want to know more little pieces. You know, this is some of you are like me in the sense that I tend to be intuitive and look at the big picture and happen to be married to a person who isn't, who is a sensing type, which gets us involved in conversations like walking into a room and I'll say, gee, this place looks great. And my wife will say, what are you talking about? Those walls are all different colors. No, they're all white. Well, yeah, they're white, but they're all different colors of white. Doesn't that bother you? No. (laughs) Not in the least. 
So there is this dichotomy. Well, we've got Thomas nailed down, don't we? In that he um, is obviously a sensing type. He had to touch and so on and so forth. Going over to 1 John, in the first reading that we had today, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. How do you know? Because I touched it. I saw it. You see? Not, yeah, I I, uh, met Jesus. I heard him talk a couple of times. I think he's right. Huh? See the difference between those two? Well, this brings me to another little set of issues that some of us have. In that the, uh, the word that is used in the gospel about Thomas and what Thomas will do when he will believe is the word Greek word pistis, which means believe, yes, but it also means trust. It also means have faith in. Well, I hold that those are not all the same thing. In that if you have faith in something, you have trust in it. I have faith in you. I trust you. That's really different than saying I believe in you. Faith implies a relationship. In this case, it talks about salvation. It talks about hope. It talks about an end to death. It says that I can count on this in the same way that someone might say, I can count on you. That to me is faith. Well, let's take the other one, belief. Belief to me is programming. It's programming yourself. It's setting yourself up to respond in certain ways to certain cues. It's a set of internal instructions. It's a menu of thoughts. Now the good news is, is this program, this menu, can be either rigid or fluid. If it's rigid, you can get locked into a set of beliefs and nothing changes your mind. If it's more fluid, then as you get new information or you think about something more, as you pray about something more, you begin to have a different take on it. Now, I know some of you, as I look around the room, most of you are far younger than I am, but as I look around the room, I know that some of you remember the life of Riley, William Bendix, remember that? My head is made up. Remember that? I don't know why these things jump into my head, but they do. You know, my head is made up. That is belief. 
You know, I thought about this when I was 12 years old and I made up my mind and I'm not going to change now. Okay. Well, let me posit something for you. The world is at this particular juncture crawling with archaeologists, all right? They're out there turning over rocks, they're digging up buildings, they're finding stuff, they're going down into the oceans, they're going up to the top of mountains, they're just looking all around for everything they can find. And if you take Archaeology Magazine or you follow Graham Hancock or any of these guys, you know that these people are relentless in looking for stuff. And you probably are all familiar with the legal case in Jerusalem that's been going on around the ossuary, the bone box that purportedly had the bones of James, the brother of Jesus, in it. Well, it's been in court for a while, and they're not sure that that's true or whatever. But let's just say, let's just say, he said intuitively, let's just say that one of these people comes up with a box that, ten, that has bones in it, and it's got some hair in it, and it's got some other stuff in it, and on the outside of the box it says, these are the bones of Jesus Christ, Messiah. Oops. What does that do to your belief system? What does that do to what you believe about Jesus and about God. For me, it doesn't change a thing. Because in the gospel, which you just heard, what does Jesus say and do when he's with the apostles in the upper room? He says, I bring you the Holy Spirit. I leave you the Holy Spirit who's going to look after you. doesn't matter about anything else. You have the Holy Spirit. That's important. You know, the Egyptians were all over this stuff in that they, they worried so about the end of life and what would happen. And they, uh, they <clears throat> decorated the inside of their tombs with all this artwork, and the artwork tends to be pretty much the same. It falls into two categories. One, I, I, know, I realize you've all read the Book of the Dead, right? Yes, you have. So it falls into two categories. The one category the Egyptians called the duat, which was essentially the journey from life here on earth, ending here on earth, and then the journey of the soul to join with Osiris in the afterlife. Okay? That's the duat. And it, all kinds of things and, and, and hazards and all kinds of stuff get in your way between here and there. And so the duat was quite a journey. And everybody kind of took this, not just the pharaohs, but the pharaohs had an edge because... You know, they had the Book of the Dead and scrolled on the inside of their tomb, and if they wanted to know what the new de new decks, they could go back and read the directions. Okay? Now, the other side was what they called ma'at, 
which M-A-A-T. And ma'at is simply balance in life. It is living a balanced life. And the Egyptians felt you had to do that to develop your soul to the point where it could make the trip down the duat to join with Osiris. Now we Christians, we believe in souls too. It isn't the body that's the power center of our lives. Although when you're 14 it may seem that way. But it's our souls. And we talk a lot about our soul's health. And we talk about a good soul. We talk about souls in heaven. The soul is the essential us. My son, the young engineer, calls our soul the uh, uh, electric part of us. That spark within us. And those of you, it's interesting, those of you like, you know, Jan and Chris and me and lots of you who have been with people who are dying, it's like they go along and they're breathing and then all of a sudden the breathing goes up and then the breathing goes down and it's like a light goes off. I mean, very often it's very gentle, very peaceful, but it's like a light goes off. Like, switch. Well, as my son the engineer also points out, Dad, we all know the second law of thermodynamics, don't we? Sorry, some of us were reading other things, you know. (laughs) But you cannot create or destroy energy. And if this is energy, it is reuniting with the creator. That thought nourishes me. That thought sustains me. That thought keeps me going. I don't care how many boxes of bones they find. They won't take that away. You see, from time to time, you and I need to take inventory of our beliefs. Are they working for us or are they working against us? Are they grown-up beliefs or are they the beliefs that we had when we were tiny little people? My mother used to tell me that the moon was God's flashlight. That worked for me till I was about five. I didn't need to believe that anymore, but it, it worked for me before then. You see, our beliefs, are they working for us or against us? Do they expand our experience of God? Do they expand our openness to God's Holy Spirit working in our lives and the lives of others and the world around us? Or do they isolate us from that? You know, you, you cannot turn on the news, on the radio or the television. You cannot open a newspaper. You cannot open a weekly magazine without reading an article on religion. Either ours, Christianity or Judaism or Islam. Islam is big these days. We have to worry about Shiites and Sunnis and Wahhabis and 
ever ask yourself, what good does being rigid in your belief do for you? What does it get you? You know, ISIS is such a shock because they don't buy into anybody else's belief system because their belief system overwhelms everybody else's. Very simple. Everybody's an infidel, so kill them all. Even if they're fellow Shiites or fellow Sunnis. That's not working for me. It's certainly not driven by the Holy Spirit. But it's a good example of how belief can be rigid. It's a good example of how belief can put us in a box, which prevents us from experiencing the love of God. See, our choice is, how do we deal with daily crises? Do we trust in the living God? Or do we trust in a set of suppositions that may no longer work? Each of us have to deal with that. Each of us have to ask that question. You see, Christ lives for us. Christ's spirit holds us up. Christ's spirit offers us peace. Christ's spirit offers us hope in this world. We need to learn how to grow in the Lord, not safeguard old beliefs. We need to learn how to find peace and find joy and find love and find hope and find salvation. And we find that through our trust in the living God our trust in God's spirit in our lives. Jan pointed out to me that the very next thing you're going to do after I sit down and be quiet is say the creed. Well, creed stands for credo, which is Latin for I believe. So you're going to rehearse some of your programming over there, which may or may not work for you. I will not... uh, uh, Chris and I and Jan will not take you through the fun and joy of the uh, Nicene Convention in 325. We'll, we'll spare you that. But uh, uh, that was hardly a time of love and peace and joy and hope in our future world. Well, let us go forth to be open to peace and love and joy and hope And especially in this, the Easter season, the salvation brought by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.